Hi, and welcome to Off the Sidelines, your guide to getting into early stage investment. The world needs a new generation of great companies, and we need your help. I'm your host, Chris Wink. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Technically. And hey there, it's Abby Lee Moscone. Hey, Abby. Gal about town and Technically (laughs) contributor. True. I actually spend most of my time on the couch, so whatever. (laughs) I'm also co-host here on Off the Sidelines, which is supported by Project Entrepreneur, a program powered by UBS. Chris, I've been thinking about this line between charity and investment, like how angel investors should view the balance of impact and returns. And that topic has probably come to mind because today we're listening in on a conversation I had with this fella. I'm David Hall. I'm a partner at Revolution's Rise of the Rest Seed Fund. So Revolution has built a reputation as a new kind of early stage investment firm. They were founded in 2005 by several investors, including AOL co-founder Steve Case. And really quickly, like 10 years, they developed a big reputation. This fall, they announced a new $215 million fund, which is just one slice of the work they're doing. Whoo, it's pretty big. Yeah, That's right. like a mid-sized fun ALM, but you know, I, it's a big number, it's true. It's big to me. <laughs> That's right, they target larger growth companies, but they also have a smaller, more focused Rise of the Rest seed fund on which David Hall is a partner. And so that phrase, Rise of the Rest, it's, it's used today in a lot of tech and startup circles. It's championed by Steve Case, and it refers to the growth of entrepreneurial communities in places not named Silicon Valley, Boston, and New York. And those three have tended to dominate investment dollars. So they tow that line between what might sound like a charitable goal, invest in the economic vitality of second, third, and fourth tier cities and regions, and seeking to maximize returns. Bingo. Yeah, so anyone at Revolution would jump up right now and say, as David Hall does, it has got to be clear, this is purely an investment thesis. This is not charity. It is an investment thesis. They draw a very bright line. They have no interest in wanting you to confuse them for charity. And mm. so I started off by asking the Harvard MBA just what he loves about his work as an investor in early stage companies in often forgotten places. What I love doing and what I love most about the job is sort of really being future oriented and investing in and, and, and sort of talking to meeting with entrepreneurs that are really trying to shape the future. Um, I, you know, when, when I graduated from business school, I expected to, like, like most MBAs, uh, expected to be running a big company. Um, mm. Instead of, you know, par- partially running a small fund, which is <laughs> still somewhat entrepreneurial. But, but the reality is, like, you know, when, when we began Revolution, when we began the firm, it was all about investing in big category defining companies, things like uh, we were an early investor in Zipcar. And if you think about sort of how Zipcar was a necessary grandfather to enable technologies like Uber to hit scale, it's, it's really interesting to see how hard it is to bring disruptive technologies truly to market. And so for, for me, it was sort of always being around smart people doing really smart work and then being able to, to, to leverage that into investing, like being able to look at opportunities and, and think about the future impact of this technological disruption. I like that quite a bit. So um, our audience, we want to make clear there, there is a pathway to you could be an LP, an existing fund, or you could, you could have a bit more autonomy and be an angel investor, joining an angel group or, or finding your own your own, you know, doing some of your own due diligence. If you were having a lunch with a friend, let's say they understood the risk profile 
um, they are a high net worth individual and they're thinking about either uh, either joining a, a, an upcoming fund or doing it on their own. Are there any early questions or challenges you would put to that person to want them thinking about which pathway is right for them? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I liken what we do often to basketball, right? Like everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks that they can play basketball, but when you go out and play against <laughs> the pros, right, there, there is a real skills gap. There's an experience gap where it really matters. Like being a professional really matters. And the good professionals, like in, in every sport, like make it look easy, right? right. And so it's, it's, it's one thing if you're, you know, talking to, you know, you know, Mark Andreessen and asking him, like, like he's, he's proven himself, he's making it look easy. It's another thing if you're, you know, a physician who wants to start dabbling in angel investing, like there's a different expectation. And, you know, you, you can be the best at, at, you know, a good pickup game, but you're, you're definitely not going to be starting in game seven of the NBA. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, my, my advice to them would be, you know, as, as much as possible and as, as, you know, friendly as I can say, like, you know, you, you really want to play at your level so that mm. you, can, you can really maximize the benefit of your investment, maximize, you know, either for, you know, being able to learn more about an industry or being able to, to have a little fun or being able to seek return. It's best to operate at your level. And, you know, one of the things that we do as an, as an institutional investor is we're, we're looking to obviously maximize returns for our investors. And so we're, we're, we're playing slightly different games, but the intent and the opportunity and the ability to, to meet great entrepreneurs and learn about really interesting and transformative technologies is obviously one of the, the unifying efforts that make this so exciting and so compelling for, for people that do it professionally like I do or do it for fun or do it for other reasons to all join the fray. A, a theme of, of our conversations is about, um, you know, particularly if you're going on, on an in individual route to your, to your point around, around maximizing financial success. If you're that physician interested in putting some checks around where you think the world might go, um, you, you, you probably shouldn't see that as maximizing your financial opportunities, but instead you kind of alluded to it. Either it's, it's fun or it's a different kind of challenge, or it's it's almost a, a different approach to, um, I mean, philanthropy can almost have a negative connotation here, but I just mean um, in trying to impact the world you want to see. Um, is that kind of a divide you split? Um, institutionalized investors, you have a pension fund, you have to maximize returns, but on the angel side, you can, you can have different, you know, you can say, I want to maximize a certain subgroup, or I want to like, care a lot about a sector. Um, is that a divide you make or, or is even that a divide someone shouldn't make if they're choosing between angel or, or joining a fund? Well, I, I think of it less from a division perspective, but more from a you know multiplication or addition perspective. I personally, I think it is phenomenal to have you know, investors come into investing in startups. I think it, it helps build the ecosystem. It helps involve people in the, 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 the technologies and the businesses and the entrepreneurs that are changing the world today faster than, you know, faster than governments, faster than big companies. Like th this is how, how, how transformative change is driven through society, in my opinion, through entrepreneurship. And so I, I really invite them to come and take, take part in this. And I, and I love it when there is sort of underlying or implicit mission in what they want to do. I mean, uh, I met with an entrepreneur the other day who's a very successful executive who had, you know, for whom cancer had just really 
affected his family, and he's working on a biotech company in in sort of the in helping to diagnose and treat cancer. And so he has obviously a deep passion involved in it. But but you know, biotech is among the the most successful of, of early stage investments. And so I think that there there is the opportunity to have more than one motivation. And I think that, you know, what, what, whatever compels folks to do that, if it's learning, if it's fun, if it's financial returns, if it's impact, I, I'm all about it. One of the things that's really important for us at Rise of the Rest, you know, we 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 are a, a financial and returns driven fund, but but impact is is very deeply woven throughout our our, our investment thesis and our mission. I mean, as, as I said, you know, we, we're investing in places outside of San Francisco, outside of New York City, outside of Boston. And if, if we can move and create, you know, a thousand jobs in cities like Des Moines or Nashville or Omaha or New Orleans, that's a meaningful impact on that community. And, you know, the the the. The, the the ability for those new jobs to pay for new schools and new roads, uh, you know, and, and, and just help reinvigorate a lot of these hometowns, a lot of these cities and, and what we call rising markets help to help those cities to reinvigorate. That's a huge, I think, impact and, and really does help drive the next wave of the American economy. I'm interested in this in this tension, or you're kind of alluding to it, it ought not be a tension, but but the perspective on on impact and financial returns. This is a, a I had dozens of conversations when some view, well, no, all capitalism at its core is meant to be serving societal needs. So we may have meandered off that focus, but that is what capitalism's core purposes are: solving problems. And I have others who take a very different and dim view and feel like impact investing is an entirely different approach to the world and should be treated differently. I love that you brought up the rise of the rest sea fund, the work that you're doing, because someone from, from afar could see it as, oh, they're, they're doing charitable work. You know, they, they wanted to invest in, in underserved communities. But I've heard many, uh, you yourself included, many revolution folks talk about this is not, <laughs> this is us being savvy and looking at opportunity. Um, but I hear you saying that there can be positive impacts, even though we are absolutely doing our work of maximizing returns. Is that is that kind of a tension or or, or a relationship you see? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I our 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 drive, our focus, you know, is is to deliver more money back to our investors as they left and entrusted in right. us. Um, but 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 again, like I I believe that there are really you know significant opportunities to drive impact. You know, for us, it's 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 by definition and by design more more implicit than it is explicit. But you know, by by finding these opportunities, I mean, l l let me first just just diffuse the notion that what we what we're doing is charity. I mean, we <laughs> we, we see it as really um, if we wanted to do and get the same results as everybody else, we could do the same thing that everybody else is doing, right? And, you know, the best way to to create opportunity in good markets is to do things a little bit differently. And and our spin on that is really looking at places where a lot of my coastal early stage investors, you know, don't spend a significant amount of resources like trying to investigate. And, you know, I, I'm not, I, we're, we're not, we don't expect there to be sort of the deal flow that comes out of some of the rising cities that comes out of the valley. But what we do expect is that universities consistently pump out really smart people that are, you know, that, that, that have some of the best engineering educations in the world. And some of them 
choose not to go to San Francisco. Some of them choose not to go to New York City. Some of them choose to stay in Ann Arbor or stay in, you know, Nashville. And by doing that, I think that we're, we're helping to create these 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 ecosystems that can that that are perfect crucibles to spin out the next generation of great companies. There, there, you know, eighty percent of the Fortune 500 is not in Silicon Valley, right? And so to think that there are change makers that are working in sort of these ivory towers of of companies that have been traded, you know, for for decades that don't have a better way of doing that or serving those customers, those companies' customers, like that. We we gotta believe. I gotta believe that there's opportunity there, and we think that you know we are just as well positioned and perhaps even better positioned than, than others to take advantage of that, that entrepreneur or that technology or that young student as they are forming their company and really starting to tackle the problem of, 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 of managing through disruption. That, that sounds like a great challenge to that, that you know, potential investor in Ann Arbor, as you said, or you know, Boise or, or Washington, D.C. or Baltimore or Delaware, or, you know, or, Kentucky, or do you find is is that the be, is that have you found that to be an effective way to rally money off the sidelines to join in this conversation? Is there is there some magic words that you found capture the imagination of of a high net worth individual who who says, "Oh, I, I'm not based in the valley, so it's a waste of my time. I don't I won't get access to the best opportunities. So why should I even do it?" Is, is there effective words you have for that? Yeah, the, the the most effective, and and you know, I, it it works really really well. It's so funny. You you talk to an audience of folks, and you ask how many of their kids go to school within twenty miles, mm-hmm. college, and and you know, few hands go up. And then of those, how many of them? You ask again, like how many of you would like for your kids to be able to return home after graduating, <laughs> and and have a job that's going to be one of the jobs that's considered a job of the future. And, you know, hands start to go down. And, you know, that wasn't the case a generation ago, right? And definitely wasn't the case two generations ago. People were excited. They didn't even have to go to college, but they could go and arrive, you know, in downtown Pittsburgh and be hired by sundown. Um, Today, that's that's becoming the same situation because schools like Carnegie Mellon, companies like Uber have reinvested in Pittsburgh and said that we're going to make Pittsburgh you know, a, a center for robotics and it, it, you, you see the flywheel starting to spin again. And so I think by, by, by sort of basing the, the narrative in thinking about the future, thinking about the students, the children of the future, and what are they going to do? Right. Cause you, you hear all these reports that come out all the time talking about sort of the death of all of these industries by, by, by technological obsolescence. Well, if we're training the, 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 the minds of the future, we're going to train them to do the jobs of the future. Those don't necessarily have to be epicentric in a place, especially now with like sort of the macro economy of things like cloud computing that enable you to be away from the servers and still create, you know, create the company. Um, you're, you're starting to see that just happen over and over again and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So you're talking to to that 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 listener in, in Pittsburgh or, or Baltimore or Boise or Des Moines or Ann Arbor. Um, what and they're like, okay, I, I'm I'm interested. I'm going to go down the pathway. Maybe I'm going to go down the pathway of angel investing, or, or I'm interested in learning more. What are some of those steps? Those first few steps you'd give to that person if they came up to you in an event, as I'm sure happens to you. Um, at one of your events, rise the rest. What, what are you telling them to do after they after they leave the rise of the rest rest event? Yeah, the first thing is get involved, right? The, I mean, every city that we go to, 
always has a a couple of points of 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 presence for the ecosystem. It's either the the big accelerator in town, the big incubator in town, the university that 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 hosts the the, the meetups. The they're usually a, a demo day or two that that's put on. Like go get involved. Go go see what it's all about. And and as you're getting involved, you're starting to talk to the entrepreneurs. And and I always tell investors, especially angel and early stage investors, follow your passion. You know, one of the things that's been particularly helpful for us is we think about like um, generational wealth transfers is Warren Buffett, best investor that's ever lived, has always said, buy the products and the services that you use. Well, you know, until very recently, you know, the the next generation of 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 the, you know the, the parents' children could couldn't buy until very recently Uber. It couldn't buy a lot of the apps that are right. sitting on their phone. They couldn't buy you know because they don't use Facebook. They don't use and engage with you know Procter and Gamble or, or Walmart. <laughs> they don't engage with the brands that that are sort of mainstream names to to you know our generation, our parents' generation, and so enabling them to to quote invest in the products that they know and love requires private investment. And, and so as you think about that, as, as, as those folks are trying to get activated in this ecosystem, like follow your passion, follow your interest, and, and then look to make those types of investments. Do you have any memories of early deals you were involved in that you just got plumb wrong that you think you look back on as a real lesson you learned and others could, could gain something from? Yeah, you know, the the biggest thing in this business is it's all about timing. And sometimes the idea can be too, too far ahead of the time. Really good ideas have to, you know, the magic happens when really good ideas meet with really good sort of leaders who can sort of help time the market, but also help execute the market. But also the market itself has 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 sort of a, a time and a maturity process, and if if you can't if you can't time it perfectly, I mean the the proliferation of mobile technology, right? A lot of the businesses, for example, that 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 died in the dot com boom of the '90s, have have had a resurgence and another life in in the mobile world, and a lot of that's a lot of that is determined by having you know having a very smart computer in your pocket that knows where you are, perhaps even where you're going, and has a lot more context about you as the consumer. You look at businesses like like um, the, like DoorDash or Uber Eats, the context of the, the that the mobile phone provides for enabling those businesses couldn't have happened in the desktop world because it would have been impossible for you to order the food to be delivered at your house <laughs> if you weren't at your house, right? And so, so I, I do think that, like, as you think, you know, the, the thing that we... I would say less got wrong, but just weren't, you know, weren't in the right cycle was was sort of market timing, for example. Mm, like that. Is, is, there a, is there a question you ask founders that you wish more investors asked founders or, or something that you just think generally should be being asked more of entrepreneurs during due diligence or be a good tip for investors to consider? I always need to understand what what is the entrepreneur's motivation, right? Entrepreneurship is a series of peaks and valleys, and you know, for for a company to go from from the idea on a napkin to an IPO, it's got to have gone through several iterations of you know why are we doing what we're doing, in which direction are we headed, 
And if, if, if there isn't, if the only motivation for the entrepreneur is to make billions of dollars, that's going to be a hard mission to, to be sustained, <laughs> yeah, hard mission to be sustained through the dark nights, right? And so <laughs> I, I really love and under, I want to understand the, the motivation and, 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 and it goes very closely coupled with the, the ambition, right? Because there are a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, and I, we are in the profit motive business, right? So if they want to make money, that's fine. I, I'm okay with that. But if that's the only thing that they want to do, that I, I I have issue with that. One of our companies, their their mission is to teach a billion kids to code. I mean, talk about audacious ambition. I love right. that ambition, but but that 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 true north will help when they are evaluating business partnerships. That that motivation to sort of accomplish that mission will help when they're you know deciding on pricing for their packages or schools to partner with or you know it just it becomes a sustaining vehicle that helps both guide decisions but also orient the company towards the right uh, the right trajectory my last question for you is if, if we could put this podcast episode in your hands uh, you know a decade ago or more what's the lesson you wish you could you could give yourself back then what's something you wish you knew when you were beginning the investment process it, you know, one of the big tensions in our business is always between growth and profitability. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, you, 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 see, you see that happen. And it's something that we see really acutely in, in some of the, the, the markets that, in which we play, these, these rising cities, where a lot of the investors, by virtue of the fact that they're, you know, they, they're not Silicon Valley investors, they're looking to drive their businesses, the businesses in which they invest, towards profitability, and sometimes that's that's that that plateaus the business too quickly, where the idea has larger scale scalability, but it's never able to reach that because it's it's so focused on being profitable or being self-sustaining, as opposed to really leaning into the risk and and you know, as I said previously, like shooting for the stars, having having outsized ambition. One of the challenges we see far too frequently in a lot of our rising markets is the the desire and the the push on behalf of early investors to sell too early um and you know when when you know some some companies and you know look it's, it's really hard to generate returns in this business and so the opportunity of of selling early selling at all is often something that that not a lot of founders see multiple times but but you, you can read story after story of company that had a valuation of x they chose not to sell and they come back and the valuation is 10x, 20x, 50x. And, you know, being able to start to counsel, if, if I could go back and start to counsel folks, it's like, you know, there, there likely are better outcomes potentially for your business if you don't sell. If you, if you lean in, if you go for the growth, if you go for, you know, go for the, for the big win as opposed to the quick win. It, it could really transform not only the company, but as, as we've been saying over time, the spillover effects for, for the other stakeholders, both direct and indirect, could be meaningful and, 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 and amazing and create what, what has been created in places like Seattle with the success of Amazon and Microsoft. You know, it's just it's, it's a very important you know, consideration for, for a lot of the really successful early stage startups. That's powerful philosophy. When that comes up, though, I always wonder, are, are there more stories of, of the entrepreneur who turns down the valuation of X acquisition and then later it, it goes to zero or it's, it's X minus, minus something uh, years to come? Do you think, do you think the, the, the right 
North Star is is the are those examples of the I got offered X, I turned it down, and then it became fifty X. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, there are going to be examples all across the spectrum, but sure, but, you know, you're, you're you're not gonna if 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 you don't if you're not aiming for fifty X, you'll never hit five X. Yeah, right. You know, and so like I, what what. what part of it is sort of it's 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 trying to reinforce and coach on ambition and swagger and like be be bigger be grow faster go go farther while being obviously you know we've got to be really good stewards and we've got to say you know this is probably the best deal or if you know if if we've been down this road before and only one person shows up yeah one are are the options the exit options might be a little bit more limited but but i you know I, the downside of being in this job is you become the eternal optimist and <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you realize good ideas and good companies are always able to, you know, secure the funding or get to the next level or continue hitting milestones. And like, I, I, I fundamentally believe yeah, that, that better outcomes could be had. Um, it, it might not be, you know, the, the difference might go from, you know, X, to 5x as opposed to x to 50x but but rarely does x turn into you know zero and and you know sometimes sure it will be less than x but there's got to be there's got to be the ambition to hit much higher than where you're hitting so that you can end up in a place where everybody's happy your your investors your your co-founders your family and 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 the business that you're you're operating one final thought there because I, I love what you're saying there advice for investors in that moment if, if someone they've invested in that entrepreneur comes then and says I've been offered X is is the decision to take it or move on in a spreadsheet or is it in the gut can is there are there the underlying data points that can ever tell you there is something more here or do you have to believe it is it more the feeling you know, I, I think it's got to be a mixture of both, right? You know, the, the, this business is a mixture of art and science. Yeah. And I think I think the science has got to inform you on things like the macro, right? Is are you seeing are you seeing increasing, uh, you know, metrics? Are you seeing, you know, are you seeing demand from your customers that's sort of giving you the 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 on the spreadsheet on the dashboard, the encouragement that you're going in the right direction? You know, or, or are you seeing those numbers start to plateau or, or fall off? Maybe that's definitely the time to take it. But then I do think that there's like the gut. Like, are you and, and I think a lot of that sort of is negotiated in the deal. You know, as you're looking across the table from the acquirer, you know, do they have more in their pocket to, to offer? Is there, you know, or, or is there another acquirer that could enter into the fray creating a bidding war? Because nothing creates more value than sort of two people who want the one, you know, two lions fighting over the same gazelle. And so <laughs> I, I really think that, you know, you, that that's probably more the gut aspect of it. Like what's, what's, what's the context for this particular deal. But I think the, 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 the good thing is the met, I, in my opinion, the metrics, of the business have got to stand on, on their own. And, and, and this is one of the best things that I think about like really, really technical entrepreneurs is the, the, they know their business and they know their metrics better than anybody else. And so if, if that's what's fueling their gut, if that's what's fueling their fire, this belief that like the data that's coming out of the machine is telling me that we're doing everything the right way and things are going, you know, up and to the right. I, that's, that's, that's when I get bullish, right? When, when, when the CEO or the founder is, is kind of half gut, half, half data, 
that's that's opportunities to really start having the real debate. But if if the CEO is saying the, the the data is telling me this and I'm gleaning and extracting this value from the data and we're going up into the right, I'm like, buckle my seatbelt. Let's go. <laughs> that's perfect to go out on. David, I so appreciate your time. Awesome. This is great. Thank you so much. Buckle your seatbelt. Yes, yes. That is quite a metaphor, quite a visual. Um, <laughs> the, the relationship between the data and the gut. It's just another one of those themes we hear yep. so many times in these conversations, something that investors have to balance. Yeah, right. Particularly those fund investors who are trying to make investing as much a science as they reasonably can. There are endless streams of data they track and what they want to see. Customer acquisition costs and monthly recurring revenue, customer retention rates, and, and just like so many others, usually with really arcane acronyms. Mm -hmm. They want to see neat and clean categories and comps to find patterns so they can repeat them. For individual investors, that can work if you know a specific industry or, or a segment really well. That's why so many angels do find that specific area expertise that maybe they used to work in. And why we've heard some interviews with angels who might rely a bit more on that gut of the founder and their belief in that entrepreneur. And David Hall is telling us that even at the firm level, we know there's a degree of the gut. It just has to come from data too. The degree of the gut. I like that. Degree Take that, because uh, we got to go. That's this episode of Off the Sidelines, an investor education podcast. We hope you'll join us for the entire series. If you have a question you want answered, tweet us at technical underscore LY or me at Christopher Wink. Episodes are produced by John Myers with production support by Sam Dad Pun Markowitz. And he is the best with the puns. Make sure to subscribe to Off the Sidelines on all your podcast platforms of choice. Thanks to our partners and supporters at Project Entrepreneur for making this series possible. Project Entrepreneur is a program sponsored by UBS. And the music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.